This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Well, it's a night of playoff action in New York. 7.30, we'll get you to Game 4 between the Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning from Nassau Coliseum. Isles trailing the series two games to one. Our live coverage begins at 7.30 right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. And then at 8.30, it's Game 7 from Barclays Center between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, the winner advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. And here to get us set for that game and look around the NBA our analyst for New York Knicks broadcasts here on the MSG Radio Network and 98.7 ESPN New York, Brendan Brown. And, you know, Brendan, normally the offseason for you, I'm sure, is a uh, time of some rest and recovery. You work extremely hard during the regular season, but I would imagine you're not resting a lot these days trying to keep up with everything that's been going on in the NBA. You look at the playoff games, Pat, here in the last week, the amount of comebacks that you're having in the games, you know, when they have both games, an Eastern game, a Western game at night, you're talking about watching, you know, six straight hours of basketball. And it's been fascinating what's going on here where the second round kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. And now it's really picked up with, you know, the game sixes and now the two game sevens. So um, it's just unbelievable what's going on. Terrence Mann, what he did in the game for the Clippers last night took over in the third quarter, started on the break. Then he's making threes. The whole building is galvanized by what he's doing. And to think that he's a fringe rotation guy and was able to deliver such a big win for them last night, anything is possible in any of these games right now. Brendan, the Nets with this game seven tonight are in such an interesting spot because if they could just get through this, I think the sky for them is still the limit. But it's a big if because obviously there's no Kyrie Irving James Harden remains compromised with the hamstring. Now, they've settled in without Kyrie and with Harden being what he is. So as you look at this game tonight, what's the recipe for the Nets to be successful? Well, Harden did play a little bit better, you know, in game uh, game six, you know, to lead into this game from what he did in game five where he just looked completely rusty even though he played all the minutes. So, you know, What's going on with Brooklyn, to me, is you look at all the complementary players who had to play a lot in the regular season because, you know, many of the three guys were out at different times and the Joe Harris's and the Browns and the Claxons of the world. You know, they had to play a lot this year, and they did an excellent job, and that contributed, you know, to them making the number two seed and why they have home court tonight. With Durant being so dominant in the offense, and you want him to be very dominant in the offense considering what they have, you know, they've gotten away from all the motion stuff. They've gotten away from a lot of half-court split game stuff, cutting stuff. So the complimentary guys just aren't getting as good a look. If you are going to make it so isolation-based with Durant, and I know they've done it a little bit differently with Harden, you know, being back in the lineup, but if you just go to that, I think it makes the Nets easier to guard. And someone like a Harris, who's having such trouble scoring in this series or getting good looks of a three, you know, to dice maybe earlier in the game some of what they ran during the regular season, you know, that would be a big consideration for me to help the Nets score enough points tonight. On the other hand, for Milwaukee, um, on the one hand, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton combined for 68 points in game six. So, in one regard, you want to say maybe they figured some things out, but Milwaukee has proven this entire series they're a different team at home 
then at Barclays Center. What's the formula for them tonight? I think that even though they lost game five, and Pat, you were just talking about it, and they had a great chance, obviously, to win that game, because they got dusted so badly at Barclays in game two, which was embarrassing, to be quite honest with you, and then they played a solid game for the most part or most of the game in game five, you know, you look at that, and they've got to be thinking to themselves, we can win on this floor, whereas you would have never have said that after game two. So I think the mentality of we can win on this floor in the game seven, it's there. Now, what becomes the big key for me? Well, you're going to get whatever you're going to get from Giannis. You're going to get whatever you're going to get from Middleton, and they're both excellent at different times. But this is where the holiday situation definitely rears its head. You changed your entire roster, your entire salary cap situation to get Drew Holiday. This is the situation where you say, this is where Milwaukee needs the third guy. Well, if Griffin is guarding Giannis and then Jeff Green is guarding Middleton, who is left to guard Holiday with some of the different lineups they have on the floor? Now, Brown is a good perimeter defender for that situation. But this is where Holiday needs to shine as a third guy. And, Pat, you and I have talked about it enough. When you try to win on the road, it can't just be the top three guys. You need more from more guys when you're trying to win a big road game. You need it from five or six guys on the road. But in this specific situation, in this game seven, if Holiday can do something and be that third guy, I think that goes a long way to them winning. Brendan Brown, New York Knicks radio analyst, joining us here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Um, James Harden is one of the more polarizing players of this era. There's no debating his stats. They are great. They are Hall of Fame worthy. He's put up some incredibly impressive numbers during his career. But, Brendan, there's been times, especially in the postseason, when he has not performed his best in the most important moments. All that being said, he has a real opportunity here to kind of rewrite the narrative on his career. No matter how you look at Harden, he's clearly 50, 60% out there. You have to admire just what he's doing to get out there and give his team whatever he can. Well, it's showing that he's a pro. And you and I watch Brooklyn quite a bit during the year because they play a lot of nights that the Knicks don't play, especially at home. And, you know, looking at their season this year, who played out of the big three, who did not, you know, the numbers back it up that Harden was their best player this regular season. And he was having a phenomenal type of season where you're talking about him, you know, almost averaging a a triple-double and and putting up those types of numbers. His ability to pass, uh, get himself into the lane, score himself, and then set up all the complimentary guys who have been missing somewhat in the games in Milwaukee in this series, He was really doing it. Now, like you say, what can he do now? What is he physically able to do right now? You know, in terms of it's a very physical game that he kind of plays without you realizing it because he doesn't always play it with a lot of speed. It's one burst off the dribble, you know, get yourself into the lane, take the contact, get yourself to the foul line. That's what he's so good at. But because of the hamstring, How much can he push off? How much can he get that one burst to make himself a viable scorer in the paint? In the games that he's played, Pat, you would know better than I, but I'm kind of looking at this like he can't do that right now all that much. So that takes away such a big part of his game. It takes a part 
a lot of what the Nets like to do and why they were very, very successful when you get to the second tier of scores on their team. So it, it's a hard question only because he's not healthy, what we're seeing with our eye. He is the type of gamer, though. If you told me that he was going to score 15 points in the third quarter tonight, I would not be surprised because he's got that kind of a glow and that kind of a presence about himself that even at a reduced physical state, he could still do it. But you just don't know because you just don't know where he is physically. Brendan, the playoffs, as you mentioned earlier, as a whole, have been fascinating. The L.A. Clippers, for the first time in their existence, which includes Buffalo and San Diego, are in the conference finals. They did it by winning the last two games without Kawhi Leonard. And I want to go back to a name that you mentioned at the beginning of the interview because listeners who didn't watch the Clippers-Jazz game may have heard you say Terrence Mann and thought that James Earl Jones was playing for the Clippers last night. So explain to me the impact that this young second-year player had on getting the Clippers further than they've ever gone. It's a great story. And I think when you're listening to Mike Green and Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson do the game, they talked about why teams come back from these big deficits. You know, Atlanta's done it a couple times in that series. The Clippers have been able to do it, you know, most notably last night. There have been other games in the playoffs where people have been able to come back. Yes, the three-point shot has a lot to do with that. But why the Clippers were able to do it and why they were able to do a lot of good things in the game five in Utah, they went to the smaller lineup and they just minimized what Gobert was at both ends of the floor. And so if a team goes small against you, Don Nelson used to do this all the time in Dallas, and he did it in Golden State, and he did it very effectively before people really started playing a lot of small lineups. You always have to take advantage of a small lineup with power basketball. Well, Utah just didn't do that. Utah handed the ball to them a handful of times early in the third quarter and man just beat them down the floor and got himself going on the break, and that just sort of opened up his game. But it was amazing that Gobert, who was then asked the guard man and played off him 10 feet, kind of dared him, go ahead and shoot, and the kid, hey, good for him. You know, he's got a lot of confidence. He's been a good rotation player for them in the regular season, filling in for when Leonard and George was out. He saw this opportunity, and it's just an incredible Incredible story. Terrence Mann leads the Clippers into the conference finals. Think about that. You know, I texted a couple of people who worked the game, and I said, did you ever think you would be saying that on the air in your preparation tonight? I mean, it's just a little bit off the wall, but everything it seems like every single day, Pat, with coaches being removed, and we've had different things happen with front offices, and then we had a big trade yesterday with Boston and Oklahoma City, and we have these big comebacks. So many unpredictable things are happening right now in the NBA. I want to get to that stuff in a minute, but let me just ask you real quick about the other Game 7 tomorrow. I know that Knicks fans have had their fill of the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young during this postseason. You know them well, scouting them during the Knicks' first-round series for your broadcast. But Philadelphia-Atlanta, and for a while last night, Brendan, it looked like the Hawks were going to get it done on their home floor. But what are you looking for in this Game 7 tomorrow? I just think in terms of what happened last night, Atlanta's got to be up by more than four at halftime last night. Like you say, they controlled play. They had the tempo of the game. They didn't take advantage of that. Philadelphia shut them completely down in the second half. 
Young and Gallinari were the only two players who were able to get legitimate shots of the basket. And if you get to a game seven tomorrow night, Philadelphia is on their home floor. They're going to get a better whistle than they did last night. I mean, you look at if they're going to be that physical, push Young out to the three-point line, push a lot of other guys out so they don't get quality looks at three, and then they neutralize Collins and his one-on-ones, Capella couldn't get to the offensive glass. I mean, Philadelphia's defense in the second half totally saved them. The great run at the beginning of the third quarter. Well, if you can translate that to the beginning of game seven on your home four and get up again and get yourself a double-digit lead, you know, as much as I like Atlanta and I believe in Atlanta because of their depth, they just couldn't get quality looks or anything going in the second half. And they had plenty of chances, Pat. They had the ball down four, down six, down eight, you know, even down in, in, into one possession where they could do something, and they got laid in the clock several times. You know, I challenge a little bit what they're doing in the half court. If you can guard them in transition, if you can guard them in the flow, they just weren't getting anything out of their half court offense. So I think for Philadelphia tomorrow night, it starts with the defensive frame of things. And then, if, obviously, if you're putting the ball in the basket, you have better defensive balance. The one thing I worry about if you're Philadelphia is where is Embiid with his health? You know, is he 100%? Is he ready to rock and roll? Because if he's not 100, that would really hurt them. We're talking to Brendan Brown, the Knicks radio analyst on the MSG Radio Network. You hear him all season long right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You alluded to the crazy week in the NBA, which also includes, by the way, Chris Paul going into the health and safety protocols. But the coaching thing is what I want to ask you about. You were a coach in the NBA for several years. Um, you're, usually when there are head coaching vacancies, it's for teams at the bottom of the standings. But you look at Dallas. There's a vacancy there. They've got one of the best stars in the NBA. Portland has Damian Lillard. New Orleans, Zion Williamson. Boston, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. What do you make of these highly attractive coaching opportunities that are open right now? I think that each individual team has an individual reason as to why they're going to go to the quote-unquote type of coach that they want to go to. And I think that the last couple of years you've had a little bit – everything goes in waves with coaching hires. And it happens in the NFL. It happens in baseball. It happens in the NBA. I'm sure it happens in the NHL, too. And, you know, there was a big thing in the last couple of years about player development. Player development is so important. But when you see what happened in Indiana, when Bjorkren came in as a Nick Nurse assistant and off a very creative staff in Toronto and then tried to do a complete 180 of what Nate McMillan did as more of a old-school veteran type of a coach, but then Bjorkren's team blows up. They don't like him. And then Nate McMillan goes to a team with some good talent in Atlanta and does a fantastic job. That one situation of Indiana could kind of flip things around as to how other teams view who they might want to hire. Are you going younger assistant coach player development guy or are you going throwback old school guy? Because the effect that Nate McMillan has had on Trey Young has been tremendous. So look at a team like Boston. Well, they have Jason Tatum, who's just an incredibly gifted scorer and can do it at ease. But does he need some molding to truly be a major star in the league 
something like what Nate McMillan has done with Trey Young, and Trey Young's doing it here in the playoffs. So, you know, every job is different. You know, I have a lead guy that I know in each job. I know that Portland really likes Chauncey Billups. I think that Indiana would reverse course from the player development situation and go to more of a traditional NBA coach. I've heard that Washington is looking maybe at a younger former player type of a guy, maybe a Jerry Stackhouse type of a person, um, because Scott Brooks did things another sort of way but did a very good job with them this year after a very bad start. Um, You don't really know what's going on in New Orleans and Dallas because those are so new and somewhat of a surprise. But when it comes down to the reality of this, and you have Orlando, which is a player development situation, do you have seven quality people to fill these seven jobs? And Rick Carlisle resigning and doing such a good job in Dallas all those years, does he become a major cog in these situations of some of the good jobs? Like you say, there's very good talent linked to six of the seven jobs. And then even in Orlando, they have some good young talent that they need to develop. So it's going to be fascinating. I think two out of the seven jobs that will be filled are probably going to be names that we're not even thinking of or people that we're not even aware of that could get the jobs because I just don't see a lot of quality, quality candidates who are out there to you know make it all work. Well, Brenda, we got a game seven tonight. We got a game seven tomorrow. We also have a very interesting Phoenix uh, Clippers series beginning tomorrow. So it's going to be a fun next couple of weeks in the NBA. I uh, I appreciate you coming on with me tonight. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, it was great, Pat. And like you say, I mean, every day in the NBA and then all of these games, it's very, very unpredictable. And you didn't always have that in the 80s, in the 90s, and even years after that in terms of who we're going to win the series. And you definitely have that now, so it's very interesting. Enjoy, Brendan. We'll talk to you again. Thanks. Thank you, Pat. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.